you know, if you don't even feel comfortable in your own body, how do you expect to share that with someone else? Right. Because then like someone else is coming into your space that you don't even feel comfortable with mm-hmm. and exploring and you're like, ah, no, get out. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Welcome to the Babble Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees, and I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. Alrighty. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Babble Podcast. So happy you're here as always. Today, I have the effervescent, just an absolute beautiful human being, um, Talbot Bolter. And she is such an interesting person. She is a theology, philosophy, and sexuality nerd self-proclaimed, uh, an Enneagram <laughs> nine, uh, arts and music lover, just super cool person. Uh, She's currently living in Dallas with her husband, and she hopes to become a marriage and family therapist and sex therapist. Uh, She's very passionate about building healthy sexual ethics uh, and bridging the gaps in controversial conversations, just like the ones that we have here on the Babel podcast. So I'm extremely excited to talk to Talbot. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> oh man, Talbot, um, you also have a blog that I you do. kind of write passages and and just like insights on uh, your side of the story when it comes to sexuality and faith and purity mm-hmm. culture and things like that. Um, and it is called Insight Unspoken. Can you talk to us about that a yes. little bit? Um, so it's I haven't really worked on it in a while, but I am trying to come up with some new things. Um, I originally started it, gosh, oh, maybe 2017, sometime in college, because um, I was sharing my testimony to my Christian sorority um, about my journey through sexual shame. And I was like, I want to be able to also share this with other people. Um, So I don't have too many posts at the moment. I have my kind of testimony and like, this is what I was struggling with. And here's where I was at least in 2018. Um, And then like a list of resources that I found helpful when exploring sexuality and faith, because there are actually quite a few Christians talking about this stuff. And it took me a few years to accumulate those resources, but there are so many people who are like, wait, there's something going on here. Maybe we've missed some things and let's talk about it. Um, so I have those two. And then I also did a reflection on um, baby Jesus and embodiment and kind of just exploring the fact that Jesus was a physical person. Mm-hmm. And can we just reflect on that for a moment and realize <laughs> that Jesus grew up like he, he didn't just come here as a fully formed adult 
who yeah. knew exactly who he was. He he started out as a baby that you could hold in your arms and grew up just like we did. And like, that's something that we don't really reflect on often. So yeah, um, I might have a few other things on there, but those are the main things. And mm-hmm. um, I'm working on, I'm doing a, a little research into the etymology of the word lust in the Bible. Um and trying to see, okay, let's 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 explore what these words actually mean, and that can be a new piece to the the conversation around the effects of purity culture and um, sexual ethics in Christianity. Yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic. It's a really really good resource, you yeah. guys. I would highly recommend going and checking it out. She's being modest; like she does only have a few posts <laughs> on there, but the posts are so beautifully written, and the resources that she Thanks, has on there—you're welcome—are are just really really great. So, highly highly recommend you guys go check that out. I'll link it down in the show notes um, so you can go click on it and get all, get all the goodness. Um, so yeah, Talbot loves kind of diving into obviously the idea of purity culture and sexuality within the Christian sphere and within relationships and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. you, you began kind of deconstructing this idea of purity culture in your dating life. Right. And then, yes. Has that continued? Cause you're married to your husband, who's a wonderful human as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of continued that journey through your marriage. Can you kind of tell yeah. us about that and what that means? Yeah. So I, I'll just give you a little background on like my upbringing and how this yeah. kind of came about. So I, I grew up in Colorado, Christian family, um, went to church and really took that on as my own in high school. Um, and I really enjoyed like going to your youth group and church and like talking about faith and exploring who God is. Um, but I never dated because I went to a tiny school and I had very high standards. And, <laughs> um, so it was really only when I went to college, because we we both went to Baylor. Um, yeah. I, I went to Baylor and met my now husband. Um, and so we actually met at wine camp before freshman year and then became friends throughout all of freshman year and started dating the next summer. Um, and so that was my first relationship and my first serious relationship because basically throughout our friendship um I I developed feelings for him but I didn't realize that I did because at the time he wasn't a Christian and so I didn't see him as someone that I could date because that was something that I hold very strongly to is having the same faith foundation mm-hmm. um and then long story short he did become a Christian and I saw him grow and mature in amazing ways. Um, and I was like, Oh, I actually have feelings for you. And, um, so at the beginning of our official, like dating relationship, I already knew that I wanted to marry him. So, and we like had that conversation very early on. Mm. And so from the beginning, it was a very serious committed relationship, Mm -hmm. um, which I know is not everyone's story. So that's just like a unique thing about mine is I started out my first relationship being very committed. Um, yeah. And my husband is much more comfortable with his sexuality than I was. And so when we started dating, like he was very comfortable with physical affection and it took me a long time to even be okay with like holding hands in public and, Mm. um, 
even just like small kisses in public because I was like no like that's we shouldn't do that like that's that's weird yeah um and so that it it turned into a lot of um like I as our relationship deepened and we were getting more physically intimate I started experiencing a lot of guilt because my framework for what boundaries I could have in a relationship before marriage were just falling apart because I would mm. like we would kiss and I'd start feeling guilty about that me like was that too much or too long or mm. like should I feel good about this and all of the um reasons that I had for the boundaries that I had started making no sense mm. um because I was like okay like I see that this physical intimacy, even on this very small amount, it's good and it's connecting, but I feel bad about feeling good about that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, so how does, how does this work? Because this, this literally makes no more sense. Um, and that was a very dark time for me because I didn't feel like I could turn to Christians because good Christian girls don't you know, think about sex or pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't struggle with that as a good Christian girl. Right. Like, right. Exactly. um, Yeah. So I felt, I felt very, very alone in that. Um, and Christian, I had lots of conversations about it because I was just like breaking down all these ideas around, um, what it means to have like, what, what, the place of physical intimacy in a relationship and what that looks like before marriage, mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I came into this relationship with the framework of, okay, I'm committed to him. And like, I am attracted to him, but is that a bad thing? Because all of this should only belong in marriage. Right. My feelings should belong in marriage. All of what's happening in our relationship belongs in marriage. So like, why does it feel like it might be okay that some of this is happening now. Right. It was super confusing. Um, and do you think that, you know, um, sorry, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but do you think that part of that could, could have been out of fear of the, like, what if this doesn't end up being the person I marry? Did, did that ever come up in your mind? Because that, that was a big thing for me in my dating relationships yeah. is whenever I started feeling guilty about these things, when I sat down and kind of reflected on it, I would mm-hmm. think I would, there, there was that fear of, well, I don't know for absolute certain that this is going to be the person yeah. that I marry. Cause he hasn't proposed to me yet, obviously. Yeah. So I don't, so I don't know what's like, <laughs> yeah, what if, what question. if this doesn't work out? And then I've just messed up all of these different times and it's, it's not, ne- ne- you know, it's never going to lead to marriage. That's the ultimate yeah. thing. You know what I mean? That uh, was always a fear in my mind. Uh-huh. I, I don't think so. I think the times that I questioned our relationship were those times when I was feeling really guilty. And I was like, what if this conflict that is happening, because I'm super confused about what's going on, what if this is what breaks us up? Mm. Um, So it wasn't necessarily like, are we not meant for each other? Or is our relationship not good? It was more like, is this conflict between like how I see um, sexuality and how you see sexuality, is that going to be too much for me to handle? Mm. Um, 
yeah and it feels weird to talk about it because I'm so far removed from that stage in my life now. Um, <laughs> I know it's weird I'm to like, kind of yeah, go back of to that place isn't it yeah, yeah but I mean it definitely was it, it was a bit of a question of like well we're not officially married yet so what does that mean now mm-hmm. you know like what what kind of boundaries do I have now because I know I'm committed to you but we're not officially married yet so how do I how do I approach this like what does that mean Right. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. Where was I? Um, so I guess an overview of like our relationship, we were dating for about two years and then we're engaged for 15 months and now I've been married for two years. So, um, yeah, I think the things that I've been really processing lately have been the ideas around pleasure Mm -hmm. because the longer I've been married and the longer I've just been exploring ideas around faith and sexuality at the base of purity culture is this fear and distrust of pleasure Mm. Um, you think about your heart is deceitful And, um, you know, if you're feeling good, you're probably choosing to feel good over following God. Mm. And there's, there's this complete disconnect between, um, like truth and feelings, which I understand where that comes from because like following the truth can be really hard. Having Mm -hmm. that hard conversation with a friend can be really, really challenging and, and hurt like there's a lot of hurt in that. Um, but I've found that like God made my body to be good. Right. And my body, like I have a clitoris, a clitoris is the only purpose that it has is pleasure. Right. And that is not a bad thing. Like God Mm -hmm. obviously made that so that I could feel good. Um, and so there's a lot of, um, deconstructing that I've done around okay so if if pleasure is not necessarily sinful in and of itself how do I embrace that in my life and um incorporated it into my relationship and um like how I live and how I understand God because if God is a God who loves pleasure like he 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 gave us our senses which are not solely for survival purposes, but so that we can delight in Mm -hmm. food and music and hugs and (laughs) all sorts of things. So if there, if God delights in pleasure, then what does that mean for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely. That is a, and I think that is such a huge question that a lot of Christian people struggle with that have grown up in purity culture. Um, because obviously, um, you know, we're kind of trained at a very young age that, you know, lusting after another human being, um, in the sense that you desire them or that you want pleasure or anything like that is not okay. And is sinful. Mm -hmm. Um, even with, and so that permeates even within a committed relationship, um, even yeah. when, you know, cause I've, I've 
um, talked to other married people that I know who grew up in the church and they struggle with intimacy as well, even though yeah. they're within the, co- the covenant of marriage, even though they have it's that commitment. No, it doesn't just flip. You just make a switch. Yeah. No, not at all. That, when you're told that sex is bad and dirty and you need to stay away from it your entire life until you're married, it doesn't like you don't just flip a switch once you're married. It doesn't work like that because you've been trained that thinking about a person um, as attractive or sexy is bad. Mm-hmm. And to fantasize about anything is bad. And to find pleasure in that relationship is bad. And so, yeah, it doesn't, you don't just flip a switch once you're married. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, like, so I how have... say like, yeah, when, when we got married, like it was the first few days were really hard mm-hmm. because like at least for um our sexual intimacy I felt so much pressure to do everything right mm-hmm. on our wedding night mm-hmm. that I was like I can't I can't I can't I can't then <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really disappointing because we we're like we want to connect in this way but like I I can't and mm-hmm. that put a lot of like strain on our relationship those first few days after we were married because it was just I couldn't flip the switch that quickly. And, you know, I I think in a lot of, you know, um, Christian, like marriage counseling or um, like premarital counseling, they do, at least the ones that I went to, they're like, you don't have to have sex on your wedding night. Like you can take it as slow as you want, but there still is that kind of pressure to, to perform. And sex Mm -hmm. becomes this, this object that you try to perfect instead of a relationship that you're building. Right. Because it's been idolized your entire life as something Mm -hmm. that's beautiful and amazing and, and good when it's within the confines of Mm -hmm. marriage. But when you have no idea what the fuck you're doing (laughs) and then you're just told to like, okay, you can do the thing now. So go try it. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, I don't know what, I don't even know what this means. I don't even know what happens. I don't know how it, what, I I don't know how it works. I don't know how it, like people say that, oh, they taught you how Mm -hmm. in sex ed, like, right. In health class, they taught you what that, like how it works. And you're like, yes, but also no, like (laughs) we had abstinence only education in Texas. I don't know about, did you have abstinence only education at your, Um, your it, it wasn't abstinence only. They did talk about different kinds of sex Mm -hmm. and everything, but there was no conversation around consent or mm. any of the relationship aspects of sex. They, it was just, yeah. here's the anatomy. Here's how it logistically works. Right. Um, boys ejaculate, girls get pregnant and have periods. <laughs> so it's yep. going to suck for you. Right. Um, yeah, and so it was much. a bit more comprehensive, but also at the time, like I was like, well, I'm waiting till marriage to have sex. And so this is irrelevant to me as a junior in high school. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't really care and it felt uncomfortable and awkward. And I was like, yeah, you didn't really yeah, internalize no, any is, of it. No, it, yeah. it, it was just uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, that was my experience too. Cause we learned that in middle school, that was my eighth grade health class that they taught mm-hmm. us the anatomy and how the body, like how the reproductive organs work and all that jazz. Yep. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there was no talk of oral sex. There was no talk of 
anal sex. Like it was just, here's yeah. the penis, here's the vagina. They go together yeah. and that's how it works. Don't do it. Okay. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I and then that at least the, the different kinds of sex. Yeah. Like they did talk about oral and anal and all different kinds of contraception, mm. but there was, they didn't really say any um, moral statements about it, which right. is fine. Sure. Yeah. And to be fair, like, again, this, like I say, my class was in middle school. So yeah. I'm so far removed from it at this point. I yeah. don't, I, I could be having my memory be completely wrong about what they taught in class, but that's the only thing I remember learning um, because I yeah. was only in middle school. And to your point too, I was very, like, I had just dove deep into the Christian sphere at that point. I joined mm. the church wholeheartedly in the seventh grade. So I was very wow. much like, I can't listen to any of this because it's talking about the bad parts. So I'm, yeah. I can't, I can't internalize yeah. any of this. It's not relevant to me, like you said. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. it's interesting how then that permeates all the way through your adult relationships and eventually into mm-hmm. marriage. If you haven't yet done that deconstruction quite yet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's super interesting. And I i mean, I'm not married, but I have been in my relationship now for almost, it'll be six years this month. And, um, and I still struggle with intimacy with him. Like we have been together mm-hmm. for six years and like, we know that to your point, we know we're committed to each other. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. He's told me a million times he's not going anywhere. So like, that's not the issue. I, I just still struggle with, um, with pleasure and being like, am I worthy of, am I worthy of receiving this? Am I, is it okay for me to want to try things that are different or is it okay for me to want to, you know, do X, Y, or Z thing? I still struggle with that. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I think. So another thing that in marriage I've really worked on Mm -hmm. is my body image, which Mm. I honestly didn't think that I had any issues with. Um, but I was journaling about how I felt about my body as part of my therapy homework. And yeah. (laughs) And I was journaling about how I felt about different parts of my body. And I was like, I hate my chest because like I have been told to cover up and like, I don't like how they look. I don't Mm. like how they feel. Um, I, it was like very uncomfortable with um yeah my body and like showing it and I then also journaled about how I felt about like my reproductive organs and I was like mm. I feel like they're alien they don't belong in my body I don't understand them mm. I don't feel them like it feels weird I feel very disconnected from this part of my body yeah um And then I also journaled about how I felt about like nudity. And I was like, I hate nudity. I hate being naked because Mm. I have associated it so strongly with sex and sexual activity. And when I don't want that, I feel like, you know, if I do get naked, something sexual is going to happen, whether I want it to or not. Mm. And I was like, oh, dang, (laughs) (laughs) to realize like, I like Christianity and purity culture have made it so difficult for me to feel comfortable in my body, both as just itself and mm-hmm. herself or sexual when I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I, I had a conversation with Christian about it and it was really great. Cause he was like, yeah, like I can not like make a comment about how beautiful you look if you want me to. And I'm like, yes, please. Like, just let me be. <laughs> yeah. And it helps so much. Cause, um, I felt so much more free in how I wanted to dress or undress mm. and could, then also feel free to be sexual if I wanted to or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was a crazy thing to kind of have an aha moment for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like being able to take that space to re to kind of reclaim your autonomy on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Because I feel like that is a huge roadblock for people who have grown up with some kind of purity culture or with the idea that their body should be covered or that their that nudity is shameful or nudity leads to X, Y, Z, like these kind of ideas that are ingrained. Yeah. Um, that nudity is automatically sexual and right, right. can and, only and it's, be sexual and yeah, and you feel like pretty much any context. Yes. And you feel like you, it's not up to you how your body is perceived or Uh what your body is saying. Like it's up to the world to look at, look at your body and put a judgment Uh on it. So, so I, I really love that, that you wrote, like you wrote all that out. You realized that for yourself. And then you had a conversation with your husband that this is what I need right now in order to try and work through this and to take that autonomy back over my body. And I say, you know, what this means and when that's wonderful. Yeah. That's really cool. Tell that. I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's Sweet. really, really cool. I think that that's, yeah, that's such a huge part of my journey too, because my, a big thing for me was always, um, was always clothing and perception yeah. of how I dress because I, am blessed with a larger chest. I am blessed with a butt. Like I have curves and, (laughs) um, and so, and I've had them ever since I was in the eighth grade. So dressing for me was always so hard because I felt like I could never, I almost felt like I couldn't wear anything without Mm. feeling like something was going to be perceived as too sexy or two X, Y, you know, like, and so being able, like for my own journey, that's, you know, taking the autonomy back for myself and being like, this is what I want to wear because I like it. But having to deal with the fact of myself that like, like right now you can't see me, obviously people of the podcast, but I'm wearing like an athletic set and I'm wearing a sports bra and you can see the like tops of my boobs, which like in church would be like, cover that shit up. What are you doing? Like, Oh my God, I can see your boobs. Stop it. Um, and it took me forever. Even like I bought this thing, knowing that that would probably happen. And I still put it on. And the first time I put it on, I was like, Oh fuck, you can see my boobs. Should I even wear this? Great, I love it. I love it too. Thank you. Um, but that's part of the journey, right? Is, is being able to say like, okay, this is what's been, this is the story that's been told to me growing up about my body or about my clothing or about my, how the world perceives me. I'm going to take that, address it, and then put it aside and reinsert my own story about how I feel and how I believe in my body and how I 
how I personally mm-hmm. think, you know, God, the universe, whatever it is, thinks about me as a human and, yeah. and in my body. And I'm going to stick yeah. to that. And it's so hard because it's like you said, it's it not is. like a switch flips. It takes so much time, so much time and practice yeah. to do something like that. What were the, what were the like modesty messages that you got growing up? Oh man. Um, you know, it was always don't cause your brother in Christ to lust or don't, don't mm-hmm. cause your brother to stumble. Um, and that usually meant in my church setting, you know, cover, like don't show any cleavage, um, avoid showing your shoulders if you can, but like tank yeah. tops are cool, but just like, if you can cover up, that's better. Um, <laughs> if, you know, if you wear shorts, they have to be, you know, just above your knee is preferred. Um, if you can cover your knee though, and just wear pants, that would be better. Like it was always like, they, they tried to give you some leeway, but most of the time it was just like, you know, just, just cover, just cover it up. Um, just to be safe because, you know, don't want anyone to sexualize you. Exactly. And the thing was like, the, the, the big thing that was pounded into, into us as kiddos in our youth group was that men are hardwired to be sexual. Like it's, it is yep. biological hardwired. Yeah. In their brain, they can't help it. Like they have no self-control over it entirely. They, yeah. It will always That's permeate, so awful. which is horrible. It's horrible um, to, to teach young men that first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and second of all, then to go to women and say, it doesn't matter what you do, but just try really hard to not make them think that way. Like it doesn't matter what you do yeah. though. Um, yep. those were, those were the messages I got was were they? don't cause. Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't cause your brothers to stumble, cover up. So that way they don't see you as a sexual object, but also mm-hmm. they're going to be sexual anyway. And they're very visual. So yeah, very, it, it bleeds into a, uh, victim blaming culture when mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. matter what you wear or don't wear, it's still partially your fault in this, in, in at least in the <laughs> you know? partially. Yeah. Partially. Um, or completely depending on who you talk to, depending on who you talk to and what you're wearing at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, it is very difficult to be, because I mean, I know that you said Christian, um, Christian became a person of faith later on in his life. It was during college. So he had a whole life before he made the decision to become uh, a Christian. Kind of. Kind of. He grew up in a Christian home Mm -hmm. and then saw the hypocrisy in the church and Mm. said I don't want to be a part of that Mm -hmm. um and through me and a few other people he saw something different he saw people who were living in a way that was loving and caring and he was Mm. like maybe this is something I want to be a part of um and so that that was really what changed. So he did grow up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. He was just also very um he's an independent thinker and so he <laughs> would see messages about like um I mean one of the things was like 
masturbation is always bad because it's always tied to porn. And he was like, but I can think better and focus better. Like right. if I take care of this and I'm able to move on with my day, yeah. um, which, you know, is a super controversial thing within Christianity is about, yeah. you know, is, is self-pleasure sinful mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that's, <laughs> so he, he yeah. did grow up in a Christian home. Cool. Well, the only reason I ask is because like, I, I feel like um, you might be able to speak to uh, what I'm about to say as well. But for me, like, <laughs> I, uh, I was still super Christian when I met Alex and he Mm -hmm. has always been like, he's not a super religious person. He never really has been. He's never Mm -hmm. like, he's never been an angry person. He's never been the the type of person to bash anyone's religion, but he was a Mm -hmm. huge, he was a huge factor in my own deconstruction, uh, because Mm -hmm. he would, he would, ask me questions about what I believed and why. And they were questions mm-hmm. that I had never before thought about. And I would just sit there like, uh, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I feel like I should have an answer. And he was like, well, figure <laughs> out an answer and then get back to me. But, um, yeah. but the reason I say that is because Alex had a sexual history prior to meeting me and mm-hmm. I had never like had a sexual history period mm-hmm. before meeting him. So that was also a, a conflict of interest um, yeah. going into our relationship because to the point we mentioned earlier, I had no clue what I was doing and I knew yeah. that he knew what he was doing. So that put more pressure on me. Cause I was like, I'm going to suck at this. Like, <laughs> I'm just going like, to, he's going to have to lead the whole time. Cause I'm just gonna be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no clue. And I still feel like that sometimes like that's another part of my issue with intimacy is that I'm, even though we've been together six years and like, we know what we're doing. That's not a huge, that's not a topic of conversation anymore. I still feel like I'm not good enough sometimes. Mm, And I wonder if, um, I wonder if that's ever something that comes up for you, if that's still an issue you find, or if that was a part of your journey at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same thing here. Christian has more of a sexual history than I do. And he did a lot of exploring and Mm -hmm. I did not. And so I I didn't necessarily to my memory feel like lesser than him, but it definitely Mm -hmm. was, well, you know what you're doing. So take the lead, like (laughs) take it away. Um, Which in the long run really caused more issues because Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to Mm self-advocate and that ended up causing a lot of problems because there were moments where I didn't speak up for myself and say, Hey, actually, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that we've had to work through and that I've had to work through is figuring out how I can self-advocate. Um, now it's not as much of an issue because like we're doing everything together and kind Mm -hmm. of starting over. But, um, I think part of what's helped me in terms of self advocating is educating myself on my body which Mm -hmm. has involved a lot of research in terms of reading books so like one book that I'll recommend to everyone always is Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski she's a sex educator and the book is all about uh, female sexuality and so she just goes into the complexities of um, desire, pleasure, arousal, and consent, and anatomy, and, like, why women struggle 
with sexual intimacy in the ways Mm -hmm. that they do and why it's not the same as men's difficulties Mm -hmm. um, because of how we interpret sexual stimuli and um, if we find that desirable, which is different Mm -hmm. from it being arousing. And Mm -hmm. so she goes into all of that. That's been a great resource. Um, There's also a website called OMG Yes, which is... It's amazing. It's all research-based. They've interviewed like thousands of women about what actually feels good for them. And mm. they have like all of, they basically have created and named sexual techniques um, and they have two seasons and it's super helpful, especially within your relationship. If you're like, I have no idea what feels good. Mm. And um, so like I've done research in that sense and I also am pro masturbation. Um, yeah, I think a lot of Christians have issues with it because, again, pleasure should only belong within the context of your marital relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's a tricky topic, and a lot of other people have talked about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Refined Women, she just did a few podcast episodes on masturbation, and like, is it sinful? Or is it good? Um, my view on it is that for me, at least it's been a very useful thing for getting to know my body better mm-hmm. and for the purpose of making our relationship better. You know, all Christian will ask me like, what will feel good? And I'm like, I have no idea, have <laughs> zero idea what would feel good right now. And I can't, I don't have any words for it. I have no idea how to tell you because I don't even know. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you don't even feel comfortable in your own body, how do you expect to share that with someone else? Right. Because then like someone else is coming into your space that you don't even feel comfortable with mm-hmm. and exploring and you're like, ah, no, get out. <laughs> hang on, don't hang on, it. hang on. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And um, so like masturbation and self-pleasure have been a really great thing for me to be able to understand my body better. Mm-hmm. And know it better so that way I can be fully present in intimacy with my husband. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And I, again, it goes back to that autonomy over your body Mm -hmm. and yes. And knowing that there are certain like, and having to discover that there are things that will feel good to you and there are things that will not feel good to you. And it's, for a lot of people, it's much more comfortable. It's much more productive, if you will, um, to discover that for yourself with yourself before mm-hmm. you, to your point, before you try to figure that out yeah. with your person. Um, yeah. even though that is part of the experience, like people will argue that, oh, you're supposed to figure it out together. It's like, yes yeah. and no, like there can be there can be difficulties with that. Um, yeah. If, if you don't have a foundation, like if you don't have a starting point at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think, I think a lot of people have issues with masturbation because first off it's often tied to porn. Right. And so if that is an issue, then it definitely can be very tricky because it causes trust issues within the relationship. Um, but if, you have talked about it and have agreed that this is something that you do and it's beneficial and it's for the relationship and you have that trust established, mm-hmm. then, you know, it, 
it is good. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's and helpful and you know yeah. it's communication it's is huge. Anything. Like oh, and totally. obviously with with any relationship, communication about anything is huge, but spe- specifically when it comes to the sexual intimacy aspect of it um and the physical intimacy yeah you just gotta talk about this this shit as as hard as it is and as awkward as it can feel like that's it's sometimes it still feels awkward and sometimes I feel like I'm back in high school being like oh I'm talking about the penis oh my god like (laughs) like sometimes I feel that way because I'm so like unused to and unconditioned to like having such open dialogue about sex and sexual Mm -hmm. intimacy and the body that, Mm -hmm. but it's so important because that's the only way that you're going to be completely informed about your person and how they feel, how Mm -hmm. you're going to be ensured that you both are giving consent with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, and to your point, building that trust, um, not just Mm -hmm. outside of the bedroom, but inside, like it's all encompassing about just communicating uh, with your mm-hmm. person. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Cause that's something I struggle with, um, on occasion. It was something I really struggled with when I first got into my relationship because I didn't want to, like, if we were doing something in the bedroom or being physically intimate and I didn't mm-hmm. quite enjoy it, or I wasn't sure how I felt about it, I didn't want to make my partner feel bad so I would, yeah. t- I would just kind of, to your point, I didn't, I wasn't very vocal. Um, yeah. I just would just kind of be like, okay, it's cool. We'll just wait it out this until we move on. Yeah. We'll yeah. just wait it out until we move on and it'll be fine. Oh, I feel that. Um, but it's, it's something that you have to be comfortable with and eventually with saying like, Hey, mm-hmm. actually, I don't know if I want this, or I don't know if I like this, let's try something else or let's yeah. put it on hold or like, and knowing that it has nothing to do with your partner, it, yeah. it's something you have to figure out. It's not them. It's, yeah. it's, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> yeah. That kind of conversation. Yeah. But that was always, I was always so scared of making my partner feel like he wasn't enough or making my oh, partner feel like he wasn't performing or um, it's, it's a very big aspect of it that I don't think enough people talk about because they, yeah, obviously the issue is with yourself, but you you do begin to project that onto your partner if you haven't yet done the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that all goes back to seeing sex as an object and not the relationship, because if you're mm-hmm. seeing sex as an object, then if your partner isn't doing something that feels really good to you, then they've, they failed to make the object perfect. Mm-hmm. And then it is, a point where you're like, well, I can't communicate about this. I can't ask for something different because they've already put it in so much effort and yeah. I don't want to make them feel like they failed at something. But um, when you do see intimacy as connection and relationship, then yeah, it, it becomes all about communication and exploration and play and enjoying spending time with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I what you just said should be like written down. <laughs> you it is put everywhere. <laughs> That's right. Christine, it is. Yeah, Christine Woolgar. She's this um, British blogger that I discovered, I think, through the Faith and Feminism podcast. Mm. Um, and 
she has this whole analogy about sex being like a play, which, mm-hmm. you know, for theater nerds is a really great analogy, yeah. but you can through, through sex, you can say all sorts of things. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be playful. Um, you can use whatever props you need. Um, and like, what are you trying to say through, through this? Um, and she can explain it much better than I can, because I haven't read that one in a while, but, um, definitely (laughs) definitely worth a read. Yeah, Yeah. Definitely worth a read in terms of understanding, like a different approach to intimacy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm linking all of these books that Talbot is mentioning in the show notes as well. So you guys can so many resources. Yes. And I love it. She is a resource queen. Um, it's so good. I love that you are so dedicated to educating yourself and learning, um, how to kind of open up all of these different layers of purity culture and relationship and, um, not relationship just with your partner, but relationship with God in the midst of all that, um, for you and your Mm -hmm. faith. I think that's a really cool, it's a really cool way to go about figuring all this out because I feel like, um, I feel like a lot of people it's very, they're very hot and cold when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I mean, I'll admit that was me too. Like as soon as I started deconstructing all the things and was like, uh, kind of similar to Christian story, like seeing all this shit that was going on in the church and all this stuff that was being thrown at me growing up. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't want it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Away. No, thanks. Um, and I feel like that's a lot of people's experience too, which is fine. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that journey is not valid because it is. Um, mm-hmm. but I find it very interesting that you have chosen to, to sit in it and work through it. Um, in a way that seems very, um, you know, just very logical. You're just learning all the stuff that you can possibly learn and then applying it to yourself, which is really, really cool. I find that really, really fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a journey. Mm -hmm. It's deconstructing purity culture has definitely made me very angry at the church. Mm -hmm. I will admit Mm -hmm. because there was a time where I was like, I can't stand to sit through another sermon and then mention purity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I'm like, this has hurt me. Cause I started out, you know, not talking to anyone about any of this stuff. And slowly I had conversations. I was like, have you like asked these questions of yourself? Like, are you struggling in your relationships? And other people are like, oh yeah, absolutely. And I was like, okay, I'm not crazy. This isn't mm. just me asking these questions and realizing that maybe what we were taught wasn't helpful or good. And it made me very, very angry at the church. And Mm -hmm. I still am a lot of the time. Yeah. But I think for me, I, I fully believe in Jesus and believe that God is good. What that has looked like has definitely shifted and changed over the years. Mm -hmm. But I know that God is a God of life and creativity and goodness and anything that causes death in all of the senses of that word, like death of your spirit, 
or of a relationship or violence in any sense of that word, that is not of God. And I saw that purity culture was not of God. Mm. It came out of good intentions, I think, trying to protect teens and um, other people from making mistakes that they would regret later in their lives. But it went around in such a terrible, terrible way Mm -hmm. of then repressing people's sexuality and making relationships so much harder and causing dysfunction within marriages that were supposed to be perfect if you followed all the rules. Right. Um, But I see God as being very good. And so my hope is to help Christians see that there is still hope in reconciling their sexuality and their faith mm-hmm. it is possible yeah. i think it's it's very difficult because there's a lot of polarized views about sexuality and a lot of polarized views about faith and our political climate has not helped that at all no um it's it's hard to find people who are having conversations where they're saying, hey, yeah, God can be good, and so can sexuality. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to just repress and, you know, not do anything at all and not even explore these ideas before marriage because not everyone's going to get married. Like, that's not the case for everyone. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I hold on to my faith because I do believe it. And, you know, if people ever want to ask me about why, Absolutely. Please ask. Um, (laughs) But I also see that there is good in my body and my relationships and that God made those to be good. And so how do I, how do I combine those things and how do they even go together? Mm -hmm. Um, Tina Shermer Sellers, she is a sex therapist and she used to teach um, grad school. She has a book called Sex, God and the Conservative Church. And it's meant for, it's, it's basically a textbook for um, grad students who are becoming therapists, but mm. she does this wonderful job of breaking down the um, beliefs within purity culture and how it affects her clients. Mm. And she offers this wonderful um, view of a God who does love sexuality and so she she dives into um hebrew texts and beliefs and shares this wonderful wonderful view of god who embraces and loves sexuality she talks about how god we we often reduce god to a god of agape love the unconditional Mm -hmm. love Mm -hmm. and philia love is like okay you know this friendship love and eros is definitely not something that god cares about at all it's definitely not a god of eros not not this passion or sexual love and she's like actually eros is this it's not just sexual it's this life-giving creative creating energy Mm -hmm. that we have and god very much has that god creates god brings life and so we can we can see that God is a God of sexuality and loves this connection and this intimacy. And mm-hmm. how do we, how do we now approach it if we understand God in this way? Yeah. Wonderful book. 
do recommend if you grew up in purity culture, just seeing her put what those beliefs are on a page and saying, this has affected people in many negative ways. Here's an alternative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. That's really, really cool. And I, yeah, I remember learning about those different types of love um, growing up in the church, the agape, uh, the philia and the eros. And Mm -hmm. yeah, and then I I remember them telling us to latch on to that agape love, the unconditional love, Um, which is good. Like unconditional love is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, they never, they never focused on the idea of philia love, like loving your friend, loving your fellow man, loving your neighbor, Um, Mm -hmm. which is hilarious because they always tell us like love, love God, love your neighbor. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, I am last or whatever um but yeah and then eros the the lustful love the passionate love the mm-hmm. that was how they defined it yeah and then that was always a that's for that's for marriage we can talk about that later that's not for right now um which yeah. is just kind of like but what does it mean <laughs> yeah I love that and I I think that what I'm finding with all of these conversations that I'm having, I also think that I'm surrounded by like-minded people and I'm interested to find people to discuss this that are on the other side of the aisle. Um, but mm. I'm finding within the the sphere of people that I've spoken with so far that it's kind of like this new wave of Christian faith where it's rejecting that purity culture that the church has taught us growing up and forming this new, not really new, but understanding that God is not that, that was brought on by a church or by an organization that was with, like you said, whether it was good intended or not, kind of misconstrued the idea of what God intended for us. And, Mm -hmm. and it seems like it's, people are starting to lean into that understanding that God wants us to be happy. God wants us to know that we are good and we are Mm -hmm. in these bodies for a purpose and for a reason that's not just to reproduce. (laughs) And that we're sexual from birth to death. It's not like, and what that looks like throughout different stages of your life will change. Mm as you grow and develop and are in different relationships or not in a relationship, Mm -hmm. but we are sexual from birth until death. And I found that I realized that there was no conversations around what sexuality and like what it meant to be sexual outside of marriage. There were no conversations around that. Yeah. Um, Which makes it hard when you're, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's forbidden. We don't talk about this it's bad and dirty and only causes you hurt and harm Mm -hmm. before marriage. And then once you're in marriage, everything's good and safe, but that's not how it works. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not that easy. Um, it's, it's definitely not that easy. And I feel like it's to your point, that switch that they say flips, um, is incredibly romanticized. Um, yeah, incredibly romanticized and it, it's very makes well documented you, at this point. Yeah, right. Um, and yeah, it's just a it is a very hard thing to watch people go through. Um, and not only to go through yourself, but to also realize that so many other 
people in relationships are going through that as well. And mm-hmm. um, like, I've had the the misfortune of seeing couples that I grew up with going to church um, mm-hmm. who, you know, were super abstinent, never did anything. Like a couple of them didn't even kiss until their wedding day. And wow. then seeing them kind of um, have issues in their marriage that stemmed from the fact that they didn't know how to be intimate with each other. Um, yeah. And it's, it felt it's, wrong, probably. Yes. Yeah. And anytime I would have conversations with um, with them about it, yeah, they'd say, like, we, we don't know what we're doing wrong, but it just feels wrong. And we don't know why. Yeah. And, and it just permeated into everything, um, around their relationship, which was really, really brutal. It's brutal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm really glad that you are committed to, like I said, educating yourself and then putting those resources out there for other people to, to be able to educate themselves and get that autonomy back in their body and then be able to extend that communication out to their person and, um, mm-hmm. and create that really beautiful, cohesive relationship that yeah. everybody wants. I think it's really yeah. cool. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm excited for you to become a therapist. I think you'll be a really, really good one. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll be a really, really, really good one. Um, Talbot, where can the people, um, we already talked about your blog, but where can people find you if they want to follow you just like on social media and stuff like that? Are you on Instagram, Facebook? Where do you hang out typically? Yeah. Um, I am on Instagram. I am a private profile. So just send me a message if you want to follow me and chat with me about <laughs> more specifics. Cause I, I do love talking about all of this and helping people walk through like their specific struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, so my profile handle is T Christiva seven. So T C H R I S T E V A seven. Um, and I am on Facebook, but I don't really use it. So don't bother following me there. And <laughs> just go to the Instagram. Yeah. It's let's just go to simpler. Instagram. That'll be better. Perfect. Yeah. Again, like everything, um, Talbot's Instagram will be down below in the show notes. Uh, her blog will also be down in the show notes along with all of the amazing resources that she spouted at us today. Um, I know she has more on her blog, so go check that out. And, um, Talbot, thank you so much for your insight and your, um, your story. It's really, I mean, it's really inspiring to see a person that has, done the work of deconstructing this very specific thing within the confines of a committed relationship and marriage. It's, um, Hmm. it's the within marriage bit that I think too many people don't discuss. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that you are, um, you are willing to be a part of that conversation. And I think it's going to really open up a lot of people to some healing. So I appreciate you very much. Thanks Paige. You're welcome. (laughs) 